Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining here today uh, in this space and on the Facebook live stream. My name is Micah Buckwalter. I'm one of the student chaplains with a focus in sustainability. And this past summer, I had the great opportunity to ride my bike across the country with a group of 15 other students from Mennonite colleges in the United States and Canada. The goal of the climate ride, as it was called, was to bring awareness to, climate, to the climate emergency we are living in <clears throat> by starting conversations with people we met along the way. The ride was sponsored by the Center for Sustainable Climate Solutions, or CSCS, who you'll hear about more in a bit. Our group met in person for the first time in Seattle just a few days before we embarked on our journey. Along our route, which you can see behind me, <clears throat> we stopped in towns and churches, holding panels and hearing from community members and speakers. When we took breaks, when we took Breaks for water at gas stations, there would inevit inevitably be questions about the group of people in matching yellow cycling jerseys. Who are you? What are you doing? These questions just offered more opportunities to talk about the reasons for the ride. We talked to folks who lived in droughts and others who experienced flooding. We learned about climate injustices afflicting minority groups like Native American peoples, and we discussed the ways the church must act amidst this crisis. When we finally arrived in Washington, D.C., two months after we had departed from Seattle, we, went, we met with our senators and representatives to tell them stories from the ride and advocate for climate justice action. Here with me today is Vanessa Gardner, Tyler Goss, Caleb Schrockhurst, and Isaac Aldifer, four of the eight riders from EMU. You'll get to hear stories and reflections from a few of them but first, let's welcome Doug Graber-Newfeld, environmental science professor and director of the Center for Sustainable Climate Solutions. Welcome to everybody. Yes, my name is Doug Graber-Newfeld, and I, I do direct CSCS, or Center for Sustainable Climate Solutions. It's kind of a, a mouthful. I want to thank Brian and the other folks um, who organized these for inviting the climate writers to tell their stories. It's especially appropriate this week, as many of you know, COP26, which are the major climate meetings happening around the world, are starting on Sunday, on October 31st. So it's appropriate that we're hearing at this time um, about climate issues. I want to be clear, too, also that I am not a climate writer. So I didn't ride the, some 3,700 miles. I rode about 37 miles, so a small fraction <laughs> of that distance. So I did not... Um, achieve this incredible physical and mental um, trip achievement that they, that they had. I do want to take just a couple of minutes to give a broader context, and then I want to turn it over quickly to the writers so that you can hear their, um, their stories. Stories um, were key. They are key to our thinking about climate issues. They're key to the trip that these folks made. And they're key to how CSCS thinks about our work as we work with climate issues. These are some quotes which are actually from work that I've been doing with Mennonite World Conference as we surveyed some three or 400 people, Mennonites around the world, to gather their experiences and their stories about how they're affected by climate change. And you can see some examples of that up there. We're especially aware of folks that are more vulnerable and have less voice in these issues. 
One of the things that happened this summer, as these folks were going across the country, of course, we had a summer where we had record temperatures, record heat out west where they were. We had record uh, wildfires, fires. <laughs> we had record droughts and floods as well. So there was a lot going on at the same time that these climate, climate writers were, were out there. Um, in the broader context, so CSCS um, is, hopefully many of you know, is an organization which is a program within EMU, but also within Mennonite Central Committee and Goshen College. So we have these three what we call core partners. We say that our mission is to move the needle on climate issues within the broader Mennonite Anabaptist community. So not just three, these three partners, but other partners that we um, that we work with. And we've, um, for these first five years, as we've been within this framework of these three core partners, we've been focusing a lot on students at the college level, on congregational leaders, working with raising the voices of folks around the globe with their stories of experiences with climate change, and also with um, what we call innovative solutions. So both supporting and promoting those. And I'll show you just a few examples of that in a bit. So among all those programs, um, I just want to point out a couple which are relevant to EMU and to you as students. So one of those is that EMU is not alone in its work on climate. Um, and one of the ways that we facilitate that is that we have a student, what we call a climate ambassador on each campus. So Andrea Troyer, you can see her picture up here. I don't know if Andrea is here today, but she is our climate ambassador for this year, and I think Mike and Isaac were the climate ambassadors for last year. We have ambassadors at all the other eight Mennonite schools in the US and Canada, and what's important is that these folks work together so that they are not out there on their own and that we as a common Anabaptist higher education voice are coordinating efforts and trading stories of successes and strategies for making movement on that. Um, there are folks here at EMU, students here at EMU have been involved with us over the years doing some great projects. I just put some examples up here. Clara Waybright on the bottom left worked with advocacy within churches especially. Um, Joseph Harder, I don't know if Joseph's here, he's currently our program assistant, so doing a lot of other work for us. He's been working with uh, Mennonite hymns, looking at environmental expressions in those hymns. He has a great website that's just up. Um, Nicole Litweiler, Litweiler had a series on climate and racial justice last year. You can check out those resources. And then we had the Shifting Climates podcast a couple years ago, which we currently have a convo breakout group, which Micah is organizing um, and have a few sessions that is based on this podcast. So those were EMU students as well. There are faculty that are also involved. Here's four of them that have been involved over the year. Peter Dula had a article on Anabaptist environmental ethics, which continues to get referenced and used in multiple contexts. Jenny Holsinger helped us with understanding the Mennonite community and where Mennonites are at on climate change. Jim Lehman has a good resource on, um, on solar economics. And uh, Jim Yoder has been working on nitrogen fixing, along with students which have helped out with these, with these programs. So the reason I put those out there is that you should know that there are people on campus who are working on these climate issues and the climate ride is one part of this big whole. So for us, the climate ride is not just a one-off event, but it's something that is helping us to aware, raise awareness, to start action. Um, and there are resources that you can go to if you're interested in more. So if you go to this website, not now, but after convocation, 
you'll find, for instance, that there are many of the written reflections and some other videos that are there telling the story of, of the lesson that these folks took away, from, uh, took away from this trip. So an example of that would be, many of you know Liz Miller. She was a student here um, and is now out at Heston College. She gave a chapel a number of weeks ago in which she did much like the writers here are going to do today. So I invite you to, uh, to check those things out. Okay, back over to the climate writers and the stories that they have. While we were on the trip, fellow writer Lauren Friesen had the responsibility of documenting our journey through photos and videos. Throughout the day, he would lag behind to capture the perfect shot, or he would ride ahead and wait to record the rest of us while passing. Lauren is working to compile the footage into a longer documentary that will be finished by Christmas. But in the meantime, he has released a short video that gives us a bit more insight into the day of the trip as well as the events that we engaged in. Enjoy. I do want to talk just a little bit about uh, the purpose of the climate right. Our organization, CSCS, we come with a conviction that the climate issue is at least one of the, if not the most important issue. We also have a conviction that Anabaptist communities have something unique and important to say to that. Raising awareness, a large part of that is having the conversations, and conversations are about listening listening to the stories that people have, listening to the concerns and different perspectives that people have. So that is really what this ride is about. The total trip across the country is 3,800 miles or so across the 13 states. The elevation gain is over 120,000 feet. There are kind of four main event locations. So Seattle will be one, Lincoln, Goshen, and DC. The idea is to kind of engage local community members along the way and have either kind of like a discussion, um, a panel, visiting a farm, visiting a church. I'm Anna. I bike today. I'm very tired. This is a very physically intense journey. Of course, there was some amount of, of getting used to doing 70 mile days as frequently as we are. I feel like the first two days, I still had the adrenaline. And then it got really, really hot. So the, the hills and the heat, we were out in the sun for super long periods of time, no shade, heat bearing down on us. Yeah, a big obstacle has definitely been the gravel we've been on. There was like a week like gravel every single day and people were just feeling it in their bones because you're shaking all day. They're out across a lot of different terrain, rough gravel roads through the mountains of Montana and Wyoming. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of long mileage days. We went over the Bighorns, we had a century before that, we had a century after that. And so I think a lot of us just felt super overwhelmed. For like the third and fourth day, I just crashed. We had done more biking than most people will ever do in their lifetime or in a single day. But kind of with the help of the leaders and definitely kind of team encouragement, it's been really fun uh, to kind of all get up to the level that we need to be at for biking. I am so shocked at like the mental and physical progress I feel like I've made 
in the first 10 days. Everyone on the team at one point after the Bighorns in the beginning of the Midwest were like, yeah, I'm not worried about getting to the end. I can totally do it. And it felt like, okay, we've conquered this. We can sort of conquer everything. The focus has been a lot of like getting to know our bikes and getting to know each other. And now I think the focus will be a lot more on learning about the places that we're going through and having those intentional conversations, whether it's on the bike or even just like we have a lot more events coming up that I think will spark really good conversations. This is not the land in which we will be interned at the end of the day. The land is home, host, and I think we also deserve to give it more hospitality watching conventional farmers overloading um, fertilizer on the land and then the land deciding it's tired, it's got nothing to give. I learned to also see the land hitting back. We are leveraging attacks on unborn generations. So unborn generations are going to pay for what we are loading into the environment today in our lust for security. For me, an aspect of, of our difficulty around this is some of the complicated feelings of grief that we have around what we're losing, because we're losing things. And, and uh, the world that we knew, for those of us who are older at least, but probably even for those of us who are younger, you know, it's gone. I think the reason why it's important that we go to, to all these events and we experience all these places and these people is because they have a lot to teach us um, and we have a lot to learn. There are always people looking for people to do the work. Just show up with a passion. Don't try to tell people what to do. Just show up and ask, how do I help? And they will give you an opportunity to help. You're here tonight because you're willing to do the work. You want to learn how to do the work. And I think this is a majority of our community. They want to do it. There's no way I can do any meaningful action toward climate justice without doing it in community. We're in this together and we need each other and there's no way we're going to move forward. With, yeah, without that understanding. Watching life-giving farmers doing conservation agriculture begin to nurture the land, then the land suddenly bringing forth 300%, 500% of anything it ever gave. We are as smart as the people who created the systems we live in now. We are as creative and smart as them. It's not written in the sky anywhere that it has to be this way forever. It doesn't, we can change it. We have to, we must. considered myself to be like a writer who's like concerned about climate change but it wasn't like you know my thing that I was working on and I've sort of realized on this trip that like in a certain to a certain extent it's something that we all are all going to be working with I've and just become a stronger person in general when it comes to that kind of resilience and I think that's really going to impact anything I do from a career to school to yeah more bike touring it's just seeing how Everything comes back to climate, talking about racial justice, talking about indigenous rights, talking about uh, immigration. To see it behind so many other issues um, is a real surprise and, and something that I, I think I will carry with me for a long time. I think it's just the start for everybody and it's not 
yeah, we get to DC, we finish the cross country trip, but now everyone's planning what happens next. And that's, that's really what matters out of this. It's not really just what happened here, it's what everyone does with this for the rest of their lives. Hi everyone, Tyler Goss here. As you may imagine, biking across the country is hard, slow, monotonous work. First off, you get a sore butt. Can I, can I say butt in convocation? Your legs ache, you get the rumblies in your tummy that no amount of food can satisfy, and you are constantly too hot, too cold, thirsty, tired, sunburned, chafing, and wondering what in the world have I gotten myself into. Don't get me wrong, I loved every minute of the challenge, but when you venture across the entire country by bike, it is important to stay grounded and find strength in what really matters in order to keep pedaling. And for me, I found that grounded strength in the other riders. We would spend our days diving deeper and deeper into the lives and stories of each other. We'd laugh, we'd argue, we'd tell riddles and sing songs, shoot, we'd even ramble on in country western accents for an hour straight. These people were our family for the summer, and I want to use my time to introduce you to the special group of climate riders and ground us all in the strength and wisdom and inspiration they each carry. First off, the ride would not have been possible if it were not for Marianne and Dan. This dynamic duo drove our support truck and trailer, restocked supplies, mended our wounds, and even entertained us with puppet shows. And then, of course, not much can be said about the climate ride without naming our leaders, Joanna and David. Joanna, as many of you know, is, the coach, is one of the coaches for women's triathlon, cross country, and track and field here at EMU. She is brilliant, organized, and a fierce force on two wheels. And then there's David, a Harrisonburg local who spends his days adventuring the world, creating bike routes, and riding travel guides. Marianne, Dan, Joanna, David, they were our foundation. Then us riders, working alphabetically, we have Anna, a current EMU student, and Anna was the laughter in the heart of the team. Talk about someone who can really make you feel seen and heard one moment and then can have you rolling with laughter the next. And then there's Caleb. Caleb is, okay, how can I describe him? Caleb is like, you, you know that one guy? Every group has one of them that is at the breakfast table at 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, and everyone else is groggy and sluggish, but he is chipper and making up little jingles about the snacks he is packing for the day to the tune of Harry Styles' Watermelon Sugar. You know that guy. So that guy, that's Caleb. And before we knew it, we were all singing the jingles too. Denver is so effortlessly cool. Like, I'm not gonna say that we all kind of wanted to be him, but we may or may not have written poetry, raps, and ballads about his greatness. Seriously though, he had the kindest of hearts, such a grounded outlook on life and a mustache. Liz is an inspiration. You may remember her from her recent time at EMU. On top of absolutely crushing it as a cyclist, lives, Liz lives life with such a passion, is not afraid to ask the hard questions and is bound for greatness. Greta is such a delight. I remember spending hours on end making up fake fairy tales and fictional outlandish stories about our childhood. She is so creative and clever and is someone who can really just be present 
in the moment. Isaac Aldifer, um, while Isaac is basically everything that is right and good in the world embodied as a human, I also want you to know that he has the best reaction to a squirrel suddenly jumping out of a dumpster. Please enjoy. We have Isaac Andreas, arguably within the top two of all the Andreases that attend this school. He always had some obscure song up his sleeve and a speaker on his bike to bring us such joy. Isaac brought so much clever care to the group. Lauren, the photographer and videographer of the trip. This gem of a human brought such humble power. But like literally, Lauren would pedal ahead of the whole group, set up his camera, take footage of every single person passing by, and then hop back on his bike and blaze on by us again. We would all be hunched over and exhausted, and here comes Lauren, just la di da di dying in perfect, upright, proper stance as he flies by every time. Speaking of humble power, Micah Buckwalter. Like, what isn't Micah good at? He was a great cyclist, a talented navigator, a natural leader, and he would spend hours on end every night fixing up riders' bikes, and he did it all away from the spotlight. And Micah wasn't alone in such greatness. Let me introduce you to Miriam, Canada's finest. Miriam was a cycling master. Miriam could power through any terrain, and when, a, and when someone's bike broke down, as they often did, they would be a wealth of knowledge on how to get it up and running again. Sam. Samantha kept us grounded and centered. She had this ministerial care and a heartfelt tenacity for justice. You could have some of the most meaningful conversations with Sam, or you could dare her to ring the bell hanging on the wall of the restaurant as she yells some ridiculous quote out loud in a silly accent, and she would. Sierra was fierce. At the end of the trip, most of us just hopped on a plane or car out of DC, but Sierra, Sierra biked 170 miles from D.C. to Harrisonburg by herself in one day just for the fun of it. And Sierra's not even from Harrisonburg. Thomas, talk about a legend. It wasn't often that you saw this angle of Thomas because that man is fast and notorious for being at the front of the pack. Thomas is an artist, a dreamer, a jokester, a daredevil, the first person to strike up a conversation with a stranger and someone with such a contagious love of life. Toby as you can see, knows his fashion. Toby was our all-star chef. We all had different chores to do around camp, and Toby's job was often making a delicious meal out of anything. And what a compassionate guy, too. Then there was me. I got the honor of being the assistant leader on the trip, fine-tuning camp operations and facilitating spaces to debrief, bond, and build community. Not to mention, I perfected the art of taking power naps anywhere and everywhere. Vanessa is an athlete extraordinaire here at EMU. Vanessa has the, was the ultimate hype. I would come biking up by her and she would energetically chant, go Tyler, go Tyler, go, go Tyler, go Tyler, go. And finally, we can't talk about the climate ride without talking about EMU's beloved professor, Doug. Before the trip, Doug gathered us over many Zoom meetings to teach us about environmental justice. While on the trip, he was back here, leading from home, cheering us on, and working out logistics to keep our rides smooth and our events ga and gatherings meaningful. So many others joined us along the way, but that was the core group. We kept each other grounded, we helped each other through calm and calamity, and I dare say we had a blast while doing it.
Hello, everyone. Oh, it's good to be with you. And Tyler, I'm always happy to be that guy for you. Um, so this morning, I want to ask, and it was a question that I pondered a lot uh, while biking, is what can we do? How can we heal our relationship with nature and with the climate? Uh, now, if you're like me, particularly in the winter months that we're entering into, I spend almost no time outside. And I realized right as the trip was starting, I was almost as nervous to camp for a whole summer as I was to bike for a whole summer. Uh, before this trip, I'd never spent more than a week camping. Uh, and it was funny to me to realize, wow, why do I feel so anxious to really live in nature, uh, to really be a part of this world that we are a part of? And so much of our society now uh, simply inures us to nature. We build up layer after layer, preventing us from participating in the natural world. And so one of the things that I loved this summer was just the reality of being outdoors almost 24-7. And there were some things about that that were not good. Um, that picture on the far right there is when we were in um, some city in Montana. Uh, and it was freezing. It rained and then it froze. So you can see my bike there is covered in water and frozen. Uh, luckily, this particular night, we, we had... Uh, a, a house to stay in, otherwise I would not have been a, a happy camper. Um, but we went from extreme to extreme this summer, uh, from frozen bikes uh, to incredibly hot days. When we went through Washington, it was over 100 and we didn't have shade or water sometimes for more than 20 or 30 miles. And that made me scared. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and yet, it ended up being a really, really wonderful experience. So really spending time in nature made me feel a lot more at home in the world and, and at home in my body. And the, the biking helped with that and just being outside helped with, uh, helped with that. Um, so Tyler mentioned food and food was a big theme of this trip and food is such a big part of our being. Um, later on in the trip, Isaac Andreas had the bright idea to not take any food with us on a whole day of biking and just dumpster dive along the way. If you know Isaac Andreas, this is a very Isaac Andreas idea. Um, I got roped into this at the last minute because I was assigned to his biking group for the day. So four of us set off. Normally we would take uh, a ton of food, a ton of water. I would eat probably seven or eight snacks throughout the day. Um, so this time I had none of it. And it was a real experience of letting go and trusting we can find food. Uh, what we didn't know is that particular day, the trash truck was going right in front of us, so every dumpster we got to was empty. Um, and we were in rural Ohio, so normally we would hit a town every five to ten miles. Instead, we only went through two towns all day. Um, but luckily, we found three cans of tuna, an apple tree, and then at the very end of the day, um, some Hostess cupcakes. Um, and this ended up being one of my favorite days of the trip because we relied on each other, as Tyler mentioned, and we relied on the community around us, and we relied on nature. Simply trees, cattails we found at streams uh, to feed us. And so really, the other thing I want to emphasize is just how quickly I came to be at home in nature. Uh, I didn't mind camping at all. In fact, it was great fun. Um, and this picture in the center, I want to point out, is that anywhere we ended up, be it on the side of a major highway, be it way out in the wilderness, we were at home in nature together. Um, and this particular one is just in a random city park. And yet, rather than sit in the manicured grass, we felt more at home climbing up in a tree to eat our lunch. 
Um, and this really brought home for me just how quickly we can turn things around and build up our relationship with nature. We love what we spend time with. And it's shocking to realize when you spend all summer biking how much time you don't spend with people, you spend it online. How much time you don't spend with nature, you spend it inside. But there's, it's so powerful how quickly we can change that. If we spend time with, our nature, uh, with nature, with our friends, and with our bodies, rather than only with our minds as the modern society pushes us to do, we will become healthier people very, very quickly. Regeneration and new relationships with climate and with ourselves and with our community, it requires vulnerability. It requires doing things that are a little daunting, like camping for two months, like biking 70 miles every day. And yet, these are what will help us uh, as we continue to traverse uh, the climate crisis and as we continue to uh, build a better world together. Thanks. Hey everyone, uh, Isaac Alderfer here. Um, and I was tasked today to talk a little bit about something um, on this ride that kind of changed my worldview or how I kind of came out of this ride a little bit different. Um, and so there were two quotes that I used a lot this summer to help me interpret what I saw and, and what I experienced. Um, so the first one is by Aldo Leopold, a pretty well-renowned naturalist from the mid-20th century. Um, and he said, the penalty of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. Um, then the other quote is by Robin Wall Kimmer. Uh, she wrote Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, she's an indigenous Potawatomi author and botanist. Um, and she said, even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world holds us, giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair, not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily and I must return the gift. So these quotes, I think, really helped me to see the environment um, in a clear way. And I think that they really highlight this duality in the landscape um, and that there's lots of types of ecological harm. Um, so we saw things this summer like forest fires, um, towns destroyed by fire, um, large mines that had destroyed a lot of the earth, um, exploited indigenous populations, logging, habitat loss, um, you name it, we saw it. Um, but there's also a lot of beauty as well. Um, from the high deserts of eastern Washington, the Rockies of Montana, uh, sagebrush hills in Wyoming, the expansive grasslands of the Great Plains, farmland giving way to rolling ridges in the east, and then everything else in between. But there are still these scars in the environment, and those are the ones that, that environmentalists and naturalists know well and we see, they're obvious. Um, but it can also be easy to overlook what lies beneath those problems and, um, and then what the deep root causes are of such destruction. Our world is wounded much more deeply than the scars that we visibly see in the landscape. Um, our nation is a wealthy and privileged country, um, but present in that is still massive disparity. Um, and similar is true all across the world. And this disparity goes by a lot of names. Oppression, racism, discrimination, inequality, exploitation, um, and many others. Um, and so socioeconomically, our world is also a damaged place. Um, and these wounds can really be the same as the ones that we see in the landscape. Um, and so these aren't always visible scars. They're a little bit harder to address. 
um, but they're the disease that fosters this exploitation of the earth. Um, so in order to effectively address issues of climate change and environmental degradation, we have to focus on the root of these problems. And that was something that this summer I really began to see more clearly. That means that we can't all be purely environmentalists. Every job needs to be involved in dismantling uh, the system of oppression and exploitation that we have created for ourselves in the world today. Um, and that means everybody from doctors to teachers to barbers to administrators, um, all of us have a role in working on that system. And so addressing these major social issues is the only real way to effectively make progress in the fight against climate change. And MCC, which was one of the core partners for CSCS, is an organization that I think does this exceedingly well. Um, they work at a grassroots level activism and community development, and they work on a lot of these big social issues all over the world that are kind of the root cause behind a lot of these climate issues that we notice. Um, and so working on these social issues actually makes them uh, a climate, a climate um, organization as well. Um, and so the motto, or one of the mottos of CSCS is that uh, climate activism equals peacemaking. Um, and so that really kind of clicked for me when I began to realize what the root causes of some of these environmental issues really are. Um, and so seeing and participating in that type of work, um, like this summer with the Climate Ride, working on activism and community mo mobility, um, is the type of work that gives me joy and hope in what can sometimes feel like a depressing field to work in. Um, so this photo up here, I think, um, for me really is just striking on a lot of levels. Um, and so I think starting off, it's, you can see it's kind of hazy. Uh, there was a fire a couple hundred miles away. Um, and we weren't near it, but it was destroying towns and um, causing all the smoke in the area. Um, the lake there was not a natural lake. It was a reservoir, um, which fragmented habitat, but it also provided water for people to drink. Um, the road uh, obviously destroyed some habitat and fragmented places, um, but it also gave humans the ability to, trans uh, to move through the landscape there as well. Um, so there's all this kind of like uh, it's incredible beauty present in that photo, um, but also a lot of these really kind of harmful backstories as well. And I think that that really describes pretty well uh, where we're at in the world. Um, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of harm, and we have the ability to kind of address both of those at the same time. So thanks. Thank you, Tyler and Caleb and Isaac, for your reflections. Uh, it's always a joy for me to relive some of those and, and hear thoughts from the trip. As you probably heard, the goals of CSCS and the goals of our climate ride were fundamentally to promote and to start conversations about climate action and climate justice. So for a few minutes now, you can turn to a neighbor or in groups of three uh, and think about these questions. How have you engaged in conversations about climate change or related topics recently? And how will you approach conversations around climate change moving forward? Hopefully you all had some good conversation, um, and I hope that those conversations continue as you're leaving convocation today um, and in your daily lives. 
Um, so now for campus announcements before we go. <clears throat> um, tomorrow, Thursday at 4 p.m. Um, is EMU's first LGBTQ plus history month lecture with Dr. Gregory Samantha Rosenthal called Living Queer History. Um, Friday from 10 to 10, 10 to 11.30 p.m. Um, is a time to celebrate the cast and crew of the musical with free Common Grounds drinks. And on Saturday, there are a couple sports events. Field hockey is at 2, and women's soccer is at 5, both home. Um, and that is all that we have today. Thank you, and have a great day.